Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is it's good to be together. It's honestly a privilege to be able to worship together on Christmas Day. Um, the last time we got to be together on Christmas Day on a Sunday morning was back in 2016, um, which was another hard year, and it was really good to be together on Christmas Day. Um, and it's interesting, some of you all are smarter than me and could tell me why this is, but we're not going to get this opportunity again for 11 more years until 2020 or 2033. And, and I don't understand it, but I was looking and I think it's true. Uh, we won't be back here on a Sunday for quite some time. And so this really is a rare and exciting opportunity, and so I'm glad that, that we get to share together. You know, I'll tell you, it is so easy to get lost in all of the holiday stress, all the chaos and craziness that we experience, that we end up taking little to no time to actually celebrate and reflect on what Christmas really is about. And, and it's, it's sad. It's sad. And, and I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. And it's interesting that our culture and our society has totally, like, taken this holiday and turned it into this, like, materialistic thing about consumerism and about just, like, feeding ourselves and consuming ourselves. It's all about us when it's really about something much more than that. Cornell West, uh, a brilliant thinker, he talks about, uh, and I've shared this before, but he talks about the ways that corporate media uses what he calls weapons of mass distraction uh, to keep us kind of pacified and keep us buying and consuming and really keep us from going to deep places um, where we are spiritual and truly thoughtful people. Um, during Christmas, uh, these weapons of mass distraction are being used in full force, perhaps more than any other time of the year, to keep us buying and consuming all the things that they are sell selling. And it's sad because really what we're doing on Christmas is we're supposed to be celebrating, uh, what we're really celebrating is literally the incarnation of God in the world through the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Like, this is a radical thing. God, literally, we believe, entered into our world in the human of Jesus of Nazareth and walked among us. This baby boy named Jesus was nothing less than the fulfillment of God's promise of new creation that we've been talking about week after week. We believe that the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus, that Jesus was at the same time, the perfect and full expression of God and humanity in one person. And every year we come back to this story. Every year we come back to it. They say that, and I agree, this is one of the hardest days for a preacher to preach because it's the same text every single year. And we keep coming back to it over and over again. We rehearse these events every single year. And we do it because it is that important. On the original Christmas, we believe that God's eternal spirit, when I say God's eternal spirit, I mean that it was there at the beginning and will be there at the end. It's always, always been there. The spirit was hovering over the waters in Genesis, it says. God's eternal spirit came and was let loose in our world through the person of Jesus Christ. And when God's Spirit is let loose in the world like that, there is a seismic shift on earth. Things changed. God entered our world, and that shift was felt by many. God was on the loose, and some were thrilled about it, 
and some trembled in fear. Today I want to read the birth narrative from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. We read this same text yesterday. It's actually in the lectionary. Um, It's the same text yesterday and today, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And it's because this story is so powerful. And so I'm going to share uh, this text with you. Then I'm just going to share a few thoughts. And then I'm going to give you all an opportunity, if you're open to it and interested, to share a little bit about what God's been doing in your life over this past year. And so I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 20. I want you all to pay attention to the details of this story here. See what jumps out to you as we read through it. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. So last night, I want to reiterate something that I said. I pointed out that Luke begins this text with these words, in those days. This is a really important way to begin this story because he's placing this story in a time of great hardship and pain and suffering. Luke wants to make it clear that this story actually happened. It happened in those days. This is no fairy tale. This is not just a good story that we tell every year to our children. No, this actually happened. This is a real story that took place during really dark times. These were dark times, particularly for Jews in Palestine. And Jesus was a Jew born into a Jewish family. In those days of insurrection and oppression, terrible policies, political intrigue and drama, in those days... 
of slavery and sickness and starvation. In those days of tyrant kings, he mentions them all, Herod, Quirinius, Caesar Augustus. In those days, God showed up bringing hope and fresh vision and life-changing news of redemption. For me, this is Christmas. This is Christmas that God showed up. God showed up. God showed up in those days, and God continues to show up in our days, and God will show up in all future days. God's Spirit has been let loose in the world, and everything has changed because of it. This past year was one of the worst years of my life. I lost someone I loved dearly, and I've seen and experienced deep darkness and grief, and many of you may agree with me on that. I read some words from Howard Thurman last night, and I want to read the last part of it again this morning. He said that the symbol of Christmas is the promise of tomorrow at the close of every day. It's the movement of life in defiance of death and the assurance that love is sturdier than hate, that right is more confident than wrong, that good is more permanent than evil. And coming out of a terrible year, I need that reminder. I need that reminder of Christmas, that something good is coming, that there is always possibility for hope and for life. I was talking to my friend John Epley, who's playing piano with me this morning, and we went to lunch on Thursday and we were chatting, and I told him that I was hoping uh, for some light in the new year. I was hoping for uh, lightness, because uh, I've had a heavy load, and I'm hoping also for light to be in my life because I've seen a lot of darkness. He reminded me that, that there is always light <laughs> because Jesus is with us always. In those days, God showed up in Bethlehem and God continues to show up each and every day of our lives. We sang that song, Come, Lord Jesus, come. King of heaven, come down, right? King of heaven, come. The king has already come, but we long for that day when the king will come again. And we believe in the meantime, he's continually coming to us, showing up to us each and every moment of the day when we need him to be there with us. Luke continues the story um, after introducing us to the, the hard times that they were living in. And he continues the story and he tells about Jesus' humble birth in a feeding trough in the forgotten town of Bethlehem. We then hear about the angels appearing to these common folk, uh, these shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks in the wilderness. We hear of angels showing up and talking about the birth of Jesus in these grand, kind of big, majestic terms. Luke tells us that this baby boy is indeed the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. This baby brings good news that will bring joy and peace for all. Luke tells us that the shepherds went and told Mary and Joseph and all the others what they had heard from the angels. And everybody was amazed at the good news, it says. But then we read in verse 19. Everyone was amazed, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That passage is peculiar to me. You know, everybody was amazed and shouting for joy, but Mary, she treasured up all these things and she pondered them in her heart. The word that we used here uh, 
for, for ponder and for treasuring up this idea here. It actually comes from the Greek word to throw. And it literally means to kind of throw it all together, to bring it all together. It's similar in English if, um, if we're talking about like maybe you come home and you're like, I ain't got nothing to make for dinner. I'm just going to throw some stuff together and try to make a meal, right? And you throw a bunch of things together that don't seem to fit, and somehow maybe you make a decent meal. It's like when you go on vacation or something, you're going out of town, and, or if you have to leave in a hurry from somewhere, and you ain't got much time to pack, and you're like, I'm just going to throw a bunch of stuff in my bag and get out of here. Um, that's kind of what we're talking about here. It's throwing things together. That year of Mary's life, Mary's year, when she, by the time she, when she figured out she was going to conceive a child, and, and then from then on, like her life was completely crazy and chaotic. Her life had been a whirlwind up until that point. So much had happened in her life. I want you all to think about it. I'm just going to list some things that Mary experienced um, up until this point in the story. And, and keep in mind, this is, only like, this is only what Luke tells us. There's probably so much more. This is only scratching the surface of the stress and chaos and all the events that Mary had experienced. An angel appeared to her which that doesn't happen every day. That probably was pretty overwhelming and terrifying for her. Then the angel spoke to her, which was probably even more terrifying. Think about what the angel told Mary. The angel said to Mary that the Holy Spirit's going to impregnate her, and then she would give birth to the Son of God. Kind of scary, kind of out there, right? Mary then said yes to the angel and said, I'll do it, and she became pregnant. She then had to worry about Joseph, her, her, the guy she had been engaged to. How would he respond? Would he even believe her when she told him that the Holy Spirit got her pregnant? Would he leave her? What's going to happen here? The stress around their relationship had to be so, so insane. She then visited her sister Elizabeth, who had been pregnant as well. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb literally leapt for joy when she showed up to her house. She then left, uh, uh, or after that, she then sat down and she felt so um, amazed by what had happened that she wrote one of the most radical and beautiful songs that's ever been written, and it's called Mary's Magnificat. Go and read it. It is the most radical song that you'll read probably in the entire Bible and maybe ever. Her brother-in-law, Zechariah, he had not been able to speak for months. And when Jesus, or when John, his son, was born, he finally spoke and began to sing. Then Mary was forced to travel to Bethlehem while pregnant because of this unfair and disrupting census from the Roman government. They eventually found a place to stay, but it wasn't great for having a baby. She had to put Jesus in a feeding trough for animals after he was born. I've traveled to the Holy Land, and the feeding trough is not this beautiful little wooden thing um, with straw in it that looks real comfortable and nice. A feeding trough was this concrete thing that they'd kind of made a little hole in that animals would eat out of. This is what she placed her newborn baby in. The shepherds then arrived to give honor and praise to her baby and also told her all the things that the angels had said and their message of good news. As I think about Mary's life, I think, man, she had a crazy year, right? She had been through so much. 
Others in the story were amazed by what was going on, but Mary, she kind of had to pull away. And it says she treasured up all of it. She threw it all together, and she tried to put it all together and try to make sense of what had happened in her life up until this point. She looked back over her year and pondered all of it. Essentially what Mary did is she took time to reflect on her life experiences and try to find God in the midst of it. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. So much had happened to her. Lots of joy and hardship and fear and excitement. And she took the time to pull it all together, throw it all together, and find God in the midst of it all. You know, Socrates, the famous philosopher, has a, a quote that I, I like. He puts it this way. He says, the unexamined life is not worth living. <laughs> now, that's a bit extreme, right? But I love the sentiment of what he's saying. That too often we experience life, we let life happen to us, and we just keep going through our days, and we never take time to actually consider it and to examine it, and to think about what is happening here in my life, and where is God, where am I, where is my role in the midst of all this stuff going on around me. We are so busy, we are so distracted, we are so overwhelmed. You know, uh, the holidays, really, holiday is really a time to rest. It's supposed to be a time to take off work, and to relax, and to, to take some time with family, and to focus on what matters. But holidays really ought to be a gift to us, a time to slow down and reflect, a time to follow Mary's example and to look back over our past year and treasure up all of our experiences and ponder them in our hearts. You know, you likely haven't had quite the year like Mary's, but I imagine your past year has been a whirlwind. We've been through a lot. We've been through a lot as a community, and each and one of y'all has been through a lot as individuals and in your families. And, 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 you know, we've been through so much. And I imagine many of you experienced so many things. And what I want to encourage you this morning is to follow Mary's example here and to take time today and over the next week or so and treasure it all up, throw it all together, pull it all together, and try to find God in the midst of all the experiences that you've had in your life up until this point. You know, I've I've told people recently that, you know, I, I think I've changed and I've grown over the past year, but I'm not quite sure how that's happened yet. I don't, I don't know how it's all coming together yet because I've been through a lot, and the past few months in particular have been a lot for me. And what I want to do and my intention over the next week is to really take some time in the upcoming days to consider it all, to look at everything that I've been through, all the experiences, the good and the difficult, and then try to reflect on those experiences. Where is God in the midst of all of this? What did I learn? Like, how have I grown? What gifts have I received? How am I different now? Because we know that even the good times and the hard times, they all shape us. And, and they all can shape us for the better. You know, often people who've been through the most are the most grateful people I know. And they're able to even look back and say that I'm grateful for the struggles that I've had because it's created and made me who I am today. But often we don't ever take time to actually think about that because we're so distracted and we're so overwhelmed and we're so pulled in all these different directions. So I encourage you all to do this, to, to follow Mary's example. 
Let's resist the weapons of mass distraction and the urge to disengage and numb ourselves. Let's resist the busyness and all the ways we are manipulated to consume and to buy and to live our lives just for ourselves. And I encourage you all to follow Mary's example and to take some time to reflect on all the ways that God has shown up for us in this past year.